The following may contain inappropriate language. All opinions expressed by the host and guests do not reflect the views of any company or service. This is Radio Havana, Cuba. This is Radio Pinyang of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. This is Moscow. everybody it's that time once again to do the crazy talk and as you would guess i am just so thrilled to be here tonight that's right on november 16th 2009 episode 9 of crazy talk and i'm wearing the red hat tonight and, uh, oh, it's a little bit crooked. I don't know. We'll, we'll fix that. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, I know you're all listening. Um, it won't matter because uh, you can't see it anyway, and just as well. Uh, but we're going to get started. Uh, probably got a, we got lots of stuff to talk about. But you know what? I want to just jump in with my guest. I'm really happy to have him. Uh, I hit him up a while back. Uh, when I first started, because I met him. He's a Portland guy, okay? And I met him through Napod Pomo last year, and he was doing Napod Pomo too, uh, posting a podcast or audio cast uh, once a day in the month of November of 2008. He was broken hours. Um, some of the stuff he was pod, uh, podcasting and, and producing were these uh, – uh, like these audio landscapes and being a, an audiophile myself, it was really exciting to to hear some of the stuff. And uh, I think his last one or close to the last one, he did this like big landscape where uh, it took place at ignite. And, and uh, it was just crazy to hear all the, the people and, and the voices and everything. So I consider this guy an expert in podcasting and audio landscapes and all those sorts of things and uh, just a reminder this is an experiment this isn't necessarily a show it's a it's an experiment in podcasting or an experiment in audio so let's bring him in right now uh this is luke leffler uh broken hours luke are you there oh doc doc i'm so glad you took my call hey doc, i'm I Doc, I need your help, man. I'm, I'm, I just can't seem to face up to the facts. Caller, I'm, what is the question? Can you get to the I'm question, tense, caller? And I'm nervous, and I can't relax. Uh, it sounds hey, it's like a privilege you'd... to be here, Doc. Hey, man. Thanks for having. Uh, thanks for um, in inviting me to be on the program. Well, uh, I, I really wanted to get you on, and I know I hit you up uh, early on. I DM'd you. That was uh, when we started this about a week or so ago. Uh, by we, I mean me. Um, and uh, so so I really wanted to get you on, and, and this was a great opportunity. Now, the funny thing is, you're not just sitting at home watching V and getting bored and calling into a podcast. Uh, where are you tonight, and what are you doing? Tell us about your project. I'm 
I'm, I'm sitting on a, on a picnic table outside of Three Friends Coffee House uh, on uh, Southeast 12th Avenue in Portland. Uh, we're very fortunate that it's, that it's mild evening and dry, so I'm able to sit out here with uh, my Lenovo netbook. Uh, that, that is not a paid uh, plug, by the way. And, um, and I'm outside of the, uh, the Three Friends Coffee House where tonight we, uh, every Monday night, and as a matter of fact, my collaborator and I with uh, Show and Tell Gallery uh, put on a program, uh, a live event that's uh, occurring right now. In fact, there's an open mic going on inside right now. That's, uh, that's all of our, our doing. And I, actually, I'm recording it inside. There's a there's a digital recorder running, and I'm uh, recording it for a podcast to be uh, to be edited and uh, put up on the internet uh, sometime this week. Yeah, you you, you post these open mics uh, uh, weekly, right? To your site. Yes, we have a, we have an invited program that we uh, that we're, where we invite uh, some people to perform uh, from seven to eight p.m. on Monday nights. And then at uh, 8.15, we, uh, we turn on the mic and, and uh, basically hose down the crowd with uh, some open my goodness. Um, and then, yes, I, 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 cut, uh, I cut two, sometimes three audio files because the, the open mic is 90 minutes oftentimes. And uh, that's just too big of a file to, to put up, too big of an MP3. So I usually cut it into two parts if it's, if it's long enough and meaty enough. Um, and then the uh, then the invited reading is another hour long. So sometimes there's three audio files that go up uh, each week on showandtellgallery.org. So what's what's your target time? Is it like 30 minutes or something like that for each of the files? Just so it's in nice uh, consumable bites. Is that what you're trying to do? Yeah, usually the uh, usually the invited part, the first hour is uh, turns out to be like a 55 to to, to 60 minutes. Um, file that's uh that's generally running you know anywhere from 90 to 125 megs and uh it's you know it's a it's a heavy download um it's a it's it's kind of a choppy stream if you if you want to just jump right into it but uh it's manageable if you have a decent connection and then the other uh in sometimes between 35 and 45 minutes for the for the open mic uh parts one and two gotcha so is there uh, is this uh, just kind of your 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 standard coffee house open mic or is there something special or is it is it like you know uh, the fact that you're you're recording it and you're podcasting it uh, as well? I mean, is there is there something unique or you know are they is it audio you know what goes on at the open mic? I mean, is it is it music, <laughs> it's a, it's comedy, a- readings? It's an open format, so um, you know basically any kind of performance, any kind of art is uh, is welcome. We encourage collaborations. Uh, we've had uh, people, you know, we miss, it's mostly either spoken word or music. But uh, sometimes the, the you know there'll be like a uh, drama or some uh, that we've had um, people that are like you know basically lie on the floor and kind of like talk to the ceiling and. And uh, it's you know it's it, it mostly it falls into that first category of the typical open mic coffee house sort of vibe, and uh, I think that the podcasting does tend to maybe raise the stakes a little bit. Most of the people know they're being recorded. Some people come out just to you know because they want to you know get an audio piece out there, and uh, and so yeah, I think that 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 does kind of raise the stakes a little bit. So when people are lying on the floor and talking to the to the ceiling, you don't have a an announcer coming to go. 
Currently, they're lying on the floor. No? No, generally not. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, their, it's their bag. And it's not, you know, it's not about me, necessarily. Uh, right, it's, right. it's like what people want to do. And it's their art. So, so yeah, I mean, if it was, uh, you know, if it was kind of like, you know, welcome to the, the Baron Landscape show or whatever, and I was yeah. doing this kind of thing where... You know, uh, like your like your show, for example, where there's a lot of your personality in it, or or or, or Cammy or whomever. Right. Um, you know, kind of you know, and I've done that. I've done a radio where uh, you know I've been a big kind of personality ego that sort of trumps on everything. But uh, you know, in this format, I like to um, just let the performers, you know, basically give it their best shot and not and kind of stay out of the way. Cool, cool. Um, so. I'd like to step back, and I'd like you to tell us a little bit about the barren landscape. First of all, you, you've been doing audio for, for quite some time, right? It feels like it. And, you know, I mean, I, I remember uh, my grandpa had a, uh, had a, had a uh, reel-to-reel tape recorder that had variable speeds on it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and they would play these kind of hick uh, spiritual songs, you know, and it was like, you know, Dullsville. But when I got my hands on that thing... It was like, okay, I'm going to record my voice at a slow speed and then play it back at a fast speed. And uh, I just laughed myself silly doing that. And it just kind of stuck. And that's what I've always enjoyed doing is just sort of that manipulation of sound, you know, where it's where you can, I mean, you're really twisting reality in a way when you're doing that. So, and so, yeah, so it's from, a very little, from a very young age, I was always playing with audio. So did, when, when you were a kid... Did you uh, get all excited one day and take the razor blades to uh, to the grandparents' uh, Perry Como uh, tapes, or how did that work? Oh, I'm afraid I was pretty bad in that regard. You know, I I did everything. I mean, there's you know, there's something about you put that you put that record on a turntable and what and put a needle in it and watch it spin around and it makes sound and you go, well, I wonder what would happen if I put a a, a regular straight pin in there or a, a marking pin and. And uh, yeah, I messed up quite a bit of stuff, and I probably destroyed some pretty valuable, uh, you know, records. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to like mess with their tapes so much, but but uh, it was later on when I actually got a got kind of a sense of uh, of um, that I could get away with things like that. That I would start uh, recording people's voices or whatever, and then messing them up, uh, and uh, and just you know whatever made my whatever made me laugh basically was was the was the product you know was that was the aim is to just have fun so when do you when did you start doing that i mean what what tender age did you start experimenting with audio well i guess you know that those days must have been you know i was probably six five or six years old wow and then uh you know then later on with the get, got my first cassette recorder and uh, I would, you know, I'd, and I know a lot of people have done this, so I don't, I'm not embarrassed to say it. But I mean, I would like make little radio shows in my uh, in my room. You know, I listened to like Top 40 radio, and and uh, I thought these people were gods. They were coming out of the radio and their voices, and you know, the radio land, and the whole thing was just you know amazing to me. And I just wanted to emulate it. So I, so I would get my records together and I would play them, and then br- make a break, and then talk and say that was this was that, and here's this and then play another record and I, you know I thought it was pretty cool and then I you know then I thought well I'll just send these to the radio station and then I kind of like stopped hearing back from them so uh, you know I knew that, that I kind of had to mature a little bit before uh, I was really in in that league 
Now, did you did you ultimately uh, get a job in 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 audio and radio, or did this lead, or was this just something that you've always had, you know, going on? It's just always been a pastime and a, and a uh, kind of a you know an application. Um, I, I met a friend in high school that that did work in radio that actually got a job as a kind of a I guess a gopher or, or some kind of of a mule for the uh, radio station, the the uh, the kind of alternative rock radio station in in Seattle at the time, and uh, he. He, we would go down there in the middle of the night and and uh, hang out with the DJs, and he would bring home all these these promo records, and and uh, it was just kind of a fascinating world. And then he got a, a program at a at a community college radio station, and so he was doing his own program, and I would come down there and watch him do that. And I said, well, this is something I always wanted to do, but I never really, I mean, wasn't that uh, kind of an aggressive type, so I never really knew how to kind of get my you know get my foot in the door, but. Uh, it, when I went to college, um, it wasn't until I was over two years into college that I found out that the college had a radio station. And this was in Bellingham, Washington. And I started uh, DJing at the college station in Bellingham, Washington in the summer of 1980. And they, it was, it was uh, easy pickings uh, because the, the student, uh, you know, the, the population was pretty light over the summer. So I was doing like eight or eight or ten hours a day, eight or ten hours a week of, of programming. And uh, that's pretty much where I learned my, my chops in a radio station uh, studio was at the was at the station KUGS in Bellingham. So that was in college. And, and then, oh yeah, and and it was like the great it was a great time. It was it was like 1980. It was uh, you know punk had broken uh -huh. and uh, and record companies had started to send really cool records to the station. So we yeah. were getting all this stuff from Rough Trade and. And uh, you know, factory, and you know, we were just like, this is cool. And we were, I mean, really enjoyed it. We were doing program commission. We got all these bands to come to college, and and uh, it was just a really good scene. But you know, eventually that you know, college ended and uh, kind of moved on. But but during that experience, what I picked up on was this idea that you could start mixing um, uh, sound sources. And so I would make, uh, I would go and make pre-production backup tape. And I would do all this sort of uh, kind of soundtracky stuff, where you were like recording uh, uh, Indian tablas or whatever, and turn up the revoxes really loud, so you get lots of echo effects, and then use it to to segue between songs. and And it wasn't it was it became a uh, more of a just kind of an experiment than anything else. So, uh, no, do, do I have this right? Did you? Uh, uh... Uh, work, uh, do some work at KBU as well, community radio? Oh, yeah. When I got out of uh, college, uh, I, I went to, uh, I moved to Vancouver, Washington to live with my folks. And uh, I ended up hanging out more in Portland and ultimately uh, was in Portland for an extended, you know, extended stay uh, where I remain today. And the friend of mine, turned me on to KBU and started volunteering. I said, you know, I still had the, the bug. I still wanted to do radio. And uh, KBU was the perfect opportunity to, to do it. So I, I wrote Community Calendar for a year and kind of made my, made, my, made my face uh, known around there and uh, eventually got a program. And it was uh, Sunday night at midnight. And it started in 1983. Oh, wow. Uh, and, it was, and I called the Barren Landscapes Broken Hours. And I did that program for ten years until I retired in '93 from uh, what, community what radio. What was the music? What was the, the mix? Time. What did you play? 
Where the uh, music and the well, band. yeah. I mean, look at, was look it the, at the dates. I mean, I, was, I, yeah. I, I mean, I was my my. Uh, the reason I ask you know, is I think I used to listen to that show. So you probably know. You probably name off a few things too. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, what eighty three? It was. Uh, I was listening to lots of uh, Mark Almond and Godly and Cream and and uh, I was always into British rock, and so that, that that was what my main kind of thing was. But you know, I would dig out whatever was in the in the library, and I would do these little kind of of uh, set pieces where I had written stuff that was. Uh, I wrote these really long kind of surrealistic raps that you know were not normal at all. Yes. Uh, you know, no offense, but uh, they were just strange, you know, and I, and I had a really kind of weird radio persona where uh, I, I, sound, I sound like yep. I was half stoned or from another planet. I but remember. It was, it was terrestrial, but it was just, and the broken, broken was like the big, was the theme, you know, it's like everything was like kind of askew, not really together, you know, it was, and it was kind of like the, the 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 way I felt about life, you know. There was just kind of like uh, there was always a, some sort of lack of of uh, cohesiveness in things, and and um, so I just kind of tried to transmit that as a you know as a as a kind of a theme or a, or, or that was kind of a vision that I that I pervaded on the radio. So. Yeah, I, I I remember those those shows and 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 it was a that was a lot of fun and um, and Kabu was just a lot of fun back then. Um, the uh, you know you you mentioned the bands, you, what was going on in college radio. I remember when you know when I was like in um, grade school. And that's when album-oriented radio, you know, where you'd you'd go and you listen to like KGON back then, and you 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 would literally laugh. Even as a little kid, I'd laugh because the DJs would go out and 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 uh, uh, smoke dope, and just leave and, and leave the down. you know leave the record on, you know, and uh, <laughs> you know and just let it. You know, you'd listen to the side of of Skinnerd and. At the end, for about ten minutes, it would be like <laughs> waiting for the DJ to come back and flip over the 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 record, right? And that was just so oh, yeah. awesome, you know, because it was just it was raw, it was real. Um, and then by the time the eighties came around, I, I think the late seventies and the eighties, I think those stations had really become more corporate and corporate rock. And uh, Kabu is where I was started listening to like the early punk. You know, where I was getting exposed to just, uh, you know, the punk and Kebu. I was reading a wiki uh, just recently about the intimate relationship that the band The Residents had with Kebu. Um, sure. And it was just just a lot of fun. I mean, that's where I heard my first Black Flag and, you know, Romeo Void and stuff. There was just some great stuff on there. It, it, I was either going to listen to jazz and for that, you know, there really wasn't it wasn't a jazz station back then, so it would just be like, you know, I'd have to go get a record or go get a record from the library or uh listen to Kabu. And uh and you're talking about your well, the spoken word Kabu, stuff is awesome. Kabu is wonderful because it does allow all of those different type of formats to have a have a home on the radio. Um it's not a, you know, a 24-hour free format radio station like say KEXP or or there's other stations out there that are that are like that. And I, you know that's one thing that I I I, mean, I I really kind of 
would like is to have that sort of radio station around. And, and KBOO is very, I don't know, everything, I want to say, don't want to say compartmentalized necessarily, but, uh, you know, there's, there are strips for programming. There's the, there's the African-American strip. There's a jazz strip. There's a public affairs strip. There's a, uh, there's a new music strip, uh, a rock, rock and roll. And, and then there are all these other kind of, uh, uh, sensibilities mixed into it. And, and, uh, but it's, but it's very programmer driven. And it's, it's, direct, it's targeted at specific audiences at specific times of the day. Um, the kind of radio that you're talking about, like it back in the in the 70s, and that's when I came of age, and that's when I would like to hear, uh, you know, a 10-minute Al Stewart track or something, and then followed by the Fugs or, I mean, things were just, you know, they just would do whatever they felt like doing. And then, you know, and then you're right, they hit on this formula. And it, and I blame, you know, bands like, and I hate to blame the musicians, but bands like The Cars and Foreigner that really kind of found this, you know, uh, ticket of this this kind of crossover between uh, progressive rock and commercial rock and kind of milked it and everyone wanted to hear it and they would play it over and over and it kind of destroyed the whole album oriented rock format well but, uh, and now you can't yeah yeah I, I mean i think the but i mean i think that the the hit making has been around since you know since the early days you know since cleveland i mean back in the in the rock and roll days and the payola days i mean that that type of radio has always been there um, it's just yeah, that it, was a place there. yeah, it just kind of took a turn in the late sixties and the, and it seemed to take a turn in the late sixties and the early seventies to this, you know, when FM came to be and this more, uh, fluid open air kind of album oriented radio. That's also when, you know, you know, with the Beatles coming out, um, in the sixties and the late sixties with, you know, album sides and people would start listening to the whole album rather than just getting the 45s and 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 uh and their favorite hit song and maybe playing the flip side um but uh, yeah i mean i think i think kebu i mean kebu's format has changed uh over the years since then uh it's a little more i think community i don't know community activist public affairs oriented now than it was it got very activist at, at one phase i think and it's still kind of activist but it's uh i think it's mellowed out considerably and it's actually really i think a pretty vibrant thing again these days which is nice to see because they've been going at it what over 30 years now and it's uh you know it's a really valuable uh community assets in portland yeah but i was stuck in that in that in that era of uh of you know the kind of just free form radio, and that's what I wanted. That's what I did when I was on the air. It was, um, you know, I'd break it up with these little kind of segments or weird sound collages, and then and then play, you know, extended mixes and and uh, follow it up with instrumentals and and just and trying just being really eclectic. And and uh, if if there was a theme to a show that was like more focused, then you know that was I. You know, I hyped it, and we did the we did the thing. We you know walked through that, and then and then next week it was back to uh, you know Bizarro World with uh, you know twenty minute orb tracks and mixing in uh, you know creatures and whatever whatever happened to be handy. So, what was your inspiration for all of that? The the barren landscape, the the audio landscapes that you put together that you've been putting so together since then. What was your so I'd say one of my biggest influences, I mean, who probably doesn't 
who never really realized it, I think, was this guy in, that I went to college with who was in the, the, the radio station named Lyle Pearson. And he put on a, a, a film series. And then each week uh, before the film, he would do what he called the soundtrack to the film on the radio. And he would mix uh, all this stuff together. And it just, and for some reason, he had a, he had a great ear for it. And uh, I mean, probably because he, you know, he was talented, but he, uh, he would take like a Bach cantata and then play Buckminster Fuller uh, uh, lecture with it. And then Miriam Makiba doing vocals. And it just had this this weird sync that 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 worked. And I said, you know, geez, that's this is different. You know, this is it's it's creating something you know, on the air, as opposed to just playing, you know, bringing your bag of records and, and playing one after the other, you're actually, you're actually doing something with, with the equipment, I think. And so that was, I mean, that was a big inspiration. Uh, the, the guy who I was talking about who got the, the job at the radio station and went to college, I mean, he started collecting records at a young age and he had this really nice record collection that was all organized and everything. And he had a stereo component stereo, you know, and I just said, wow, this is really cool stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, over the years, I mean, there is there are people been inside and outside the industry, just you know, friends or or uh, you know, people that I'll uh, whose whose stuff I'll come across and just go, you know, this is uh, this is I want to try and do that, and and uh, I mean, I've always been always inspired to do something by you know here, and uh, that's you know been a major part of my my, uh, my art is just kind of turning around and, and uh, taking something that's already there and just turning around and making it into a into a uh, into a, a, an audio soundscape of some kind so uh, now today uh, we have all the tools digital tools to do this uh, you know at your, fin- at your fingertip I mean uh, oh, so what yeah I mean and and really any kid young kid can can do this maybe not with the same uh, artistic aesthetic that you have, or that you've approached it with. But if you if you look, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of kids can do mashups and all kinds of stuff with with the software. Unlike uh, back in the day with with records and tape and splicing tape. Uh, you know, I got into this whole thing with reel to reels as well and splicing up tape, uh, doing tape splices. And when I was in college studying music, I actually was. Uh, Checking out like John Cage and you know some of his early tape splicing experiments back in the I think the late fifties, um, but now all those tools are available, and um, how has that changed your approach? Uh, are you still taking the same tactic? Are you finding something new, uh, or are you just dismayed by by the crap that's being released out there today in the audio landscape? I guess what I'm mostly dismayed about is the amount of time that I have to do things as that I that I did when when I was a when I was a lot younger and had uh, and had to um, do it the hard way with analog. Um, I mean, my I, I also like to make. Uh, sorry, there's a, a TriMet bus here. No, it's but, great. Uh, it, it, also- you're talking about audio and sound <laughs> and landscapes, and we're getting plenty of audio landscapes behind you as you talk. <laughs> I thought I'd give you a little something special. There we since, go. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, what are we? Let's see. Uh, it's when I when I started writing songs and making songs. For example, uh, it was uh, you know I would record the instrument and then I would 
record another instrument with it, and then I would ping pong it onto another piece of tape, and then record another instrument on the next track, and then ping pong that onto another piece of tape. And and the hallmark of my uh, recordings was tape hits, basically. And uh, today, the the thing that's changed is that is that you don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, right, right. You don't have to right. do so much. Uh, what you're getting a a, um, a decent take the first time because you because it's so easy to edit. You can edit down to the, like the, a fraction of a second now, and it's just a click, just a mouse click. Right. Um, I mean that's 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 one thing that that's changed remarkably. It's, it's almost it's, overwhelming. It, yeah, it's um, almost no more get, fun. When I started with a, I, I find it's 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 totally amounts of fun, and and the the. the uh, I mean, I barely, I think I know maybe a quarter of what my digital audio workstation yeah. is capable of. Uh, but, you know, but, I just get, I just fire it up and I start playing and, you know, it's just the, the hours just whiz by. But I, I could do that. I could uh, really honestly sit there all day and just, and just do that and compose in MIDI and, and, uh, and make rhythms out of, out of a door slamming and, and glasses you know, hitting the table. It's just, that's, it's just so easy. And so, I mean, remarkable is it, it, it almost outpaces the ideas and it's, and it, it almost starts to, to create the ideas, which, I mean, I think in a way, audio has always done that. Here's going, uh, it's about 60 miles an hour up, uh, 12th Avenue. Nice. Uh, SUV. So I was going to, I, but the, uh, I was going to jump in. So I was going to say, I, I kind of have a, uh, a love-hate relationship with it because, yes, you're right, like the tape hiss and all the things we used to actually have to really deal with and MIDI and things like that, all of that, I would never want to go back. Um, I mean, those tools, you know, when MIDI came out and digital synthesis and sampling, I mean, that was just huge for us. And, you know, a lot of my compositions and, and recordings were all based around that. But that said, I miss cutting tape. I miss like the actual mechanics of the machines, you know? I mean, you know, before there was a analog or a digital echo uh um digital echo box, you would have a a spring reverb or before that an echoplex which was essentially a tape loop with several tape heads that would run around and you know if you ever watched like an, the old led zeppelin movie song remains the same or one of those they're they're running this little box it's it you know they they break on stage but you know it's like a several tape heads one records and and the others play back and that's how you get the echo um the mellotron is one of the most distinctive sounds in keyboards i think i mean if you look at like oh i love the mellotron yeah if you look at like the work of like rick wakeman right uh, he used the Mellotron. Yeah. And those were all essentially pre... It, it was like the early analog version of a digital sampler. And it was tape loops within a keyboard. And the tape tape loops were of instruments playing... So you'd have a violin that would play a C, a D, a, you know, D sharp, an E... Um, and when you hit the keys on the Mellotron, there was a little delay, but it would play back the actual sounds. And it had, it, there, there's a reason why they called it a Mellotron, you know? Um, and to this day, you know, if you get a sampler, they have Mellotron sounds in it. So that kind of visceral, that kind of, and loading reels and literally splicing your points, I, I kind of miss all that, you know? And I dig the people who take, 
like old gear. Like I've noticed a renaissance in music where bands are taking old gear and old instruments and old vintage keyboards, right? I also miss the mini moog that I used to play with with my friend back in high school, the actual analog dials. And I notice there's a renaissance of that. Oh, sure. I mean, it doesn't mean you don't master the Pro Tools. Go ahead. I miss my Farfisa combo organ that, uh, you know, that even had, had a few bad keys on it. Uh, but, uh, you know, it had a few bad keys on it. And, and I didn't, you know, I didn't want to repair it. And I have a you know little, little Casios that uh, you know they're pretty scratchy and and uh, fuzzy and they get they get dirt in them and they and changes the sound and yeah. I mean there's something there's something really special about all that stuff. There's like a whole there's whole record labels that that uh, specialize in like one Ghost Box out of the UK is one that just I mean it specializes in in uh, vintage instrument pop music. And uh, it's and it's contemporary, and that's what and that's what they're doing. And I mean, I think that's great. I I've always been kind of like you know wanting the wanting the next thing, and and it almost uh, you know I I'm I'm glad to leave that stuff behind and and move on to to something that's uh, that's fresh and and uh, and especially it's it's easy it's easy to use. You're probably better. You're probably more classically trained i mean you're actually a musician type as opposed to just someone who like who like uh makes makes sound with uh with electronic instruments so, you know it's uh, you probably play an instrument you know for in real life um and uh you know i i was terrible at that stuff i i, I refused to practice and just uh never really picked up music theory very well and so uh i mean i always liked music but but uh I just wasn't disciplined as a musician, so like performing music uh, live, you know, is kind of like something I really uh, can't do very well. I can sing, but that's about it. And uh, but I love getting in the studio and and working with all that stuff. It's it's uh, it, and and so whatever makes it whatever makes the process easier, uh, more um, more fluid. Uh, it, that's I mean that's what I gravitate towards. Well, you're. Um you know your your audio landscapes are, are your instrument. I mean, it's just a different different type of art. You know, um, you know it, it reminded me uh, uh, about a little short story, which I will try to do a short story audience. Um, it, we were talking about uh, the old gear and analog gear, and I I remember uh, I was lucky enough when I was learning music when I was a teenager uh, to have a friend who like you really really wasn't a musician didn't have i mean he i think he took the lesson same thing i mean he really really didn't pick up performing on an instrument but he was really into electronics and really into music he he dj'd for years in college he went on to get an electronics degree um but he saved up all his money picking berries in a field for for like three summers to buy a mini moog and so i mean here's this kid uh, in you know high school with a mini moog, which was uh, pretty cool, you know. And we would get together in summers. We would go to garage sales. We would buy old tape reels. They would be broken. We'd solder them up because we had some electronic skills. And we'd do all these recordings. And uh, you know we'd record with his cousin who was a guitar player. So we had a few musicians who could actually play. And then we'd have the mini moog and we'd experiment. We'd play rock, whatever. And I remember this one time, and just to 
talk about how this equipment reacted. It, they, it had a heart and a life of its own. Because uh, uh, the old synthesizers were not digital, they were analog circuitry, uh, all kinds of weather changes and things like that would change the characteristics. You'd actually have to tune your synthesizer each time you played it. There would be like an oscillator in there that you'd tune it up to because it would never be the same. And I remember one like winter, he brought it over, we set it up, we turned it on, we plugged it in, and it just started magically playing itself. So there was... I don't know what it was. It was like static electricity was firing off the uh, the the uh, the oscillators and creating music. Like literally, cyborg, like you know, power it on, turn it on, plug it in, and the mini Moog's playing itself. You know, there was no intelligence behind it. It had to do with static electricity and the way the analog circuits worked. But what a crazy, weird spiritual type experience that is you know and you recorded it uh, i think we tried to i think actually that was one of those moments that 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 were, were lost um i think we didn't have the tape decks rolling um you know and we were we were kids yeah. too so it wasn't like you know looking back on it now you know you kind of look at it and go wow you know what an amazing moment right the machine <laughs> is speaking to us you know Back then, you're like, maybe back then you're looking at it going, what the hell's it doing? <laughs> I don't know. Must be the static electricity. You know, walk up. It's like a theremin, right? You walk up with your hand and it starts, you know. Well, crap. We need to record this track. So we need to exactly. tell it to knock it off, right? But I mean, it's like those kind of moments that I just don't think you're going to get with digital, uh, in the digital realm. And I, I don't, you know. I know I'm thrown out out there. I'm rambling, but that's, that's okay. You know, you know? and, and um, I mean, I think what you know, it's it's the, it's, it's making sure that your your uh, your recorded button is on all the time, or at least as much as yes. possible, and you're capturing as much source material as you can. But good point. But you know what that does? Is it creates a plethora of of uh, material, and and it, and that's what gets lost in the digital realm. That's when you're. When you have so much stuff, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm pushing, I, you're probably way beyond me, but I'm, I'm pushing 500, 500 gigs of WAV files, you know, of just stuff oh, yeah. that I've recorded. Oh, yeah. And there's no way I'm going to ever listen to all that in my lifetime. And, uh, and, and I, it's all I can do to just sort of like open something up and grab something and start, and start messing with it. Um, but uh, there, there's so much that I'm losing and there's so much that I could, I can never even get my head around it that, uh, you know, it's 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 uh it's really challenging. That's that to me is like kind of the big is the downside of it. Is okay, that so there's so, uh, so there's you so much out there that I that I can't do. Yeah, you brought up something really, really interesting there, and I think that you, your the point is that back in the analog days, you had you were restricted by the storage medium. So yeah, you could have a an hour long reel to reel with with audio and capture audio uh, on tape but it was really finite the storage medium was finite so what you had to work with was finite and somewhat deterministic you'd have to say hey i need that bird chirp i don't have a bird chirp i might have to go out and get one uh you know unless you were at some studio like in london and had like the bbc reference tapes right that took up buildings and buildings 
which none of us had, uh, you really had a finite storage. Today, in the digital world, you have too much. I mean, I can't find the crap I've recorded. I mean, I've recorded all my stuff. I've transferred stuff. Video's even worse. I mean, how do you deal with it, with all the all the material that you've created over time? And now here you go. Oh, you you have infinite, to, it's infinite storage. It's next to impossible to do anything for me for me to do anything beyond put a date on something and save it in the place where I think I'm going to be able to find it again. And and uh, but you know you're, when you're talking about like like sound effects libraries and things like that. I mean, people have spent you know hours indexing all of that stuff. And and today indexing for me is just I mean it's like you have I have a, a, a 300 gig wave file that I recorded on Monday the 16th of November and uh, it goes in this folder on my hard drive and you know I, I, I barely even know see like like for example tonight I'm uh, I'm sitting out here instead of the open mic so it's like I don't even know basically what I'm getting until I listen to it later and I'll I'll have some sense of what all that stuff is but I mean there's just there's just gobs and gobs of uh, of of stuff that's being recorded all the time, and and yeah, there's no way to really to really say, okay, well, I'm going to get every single good thing out of here and know where to find it again when I when I want it. Um, but when you're talking about getting a bird chirp or something like that, I mean, if you want to get a bird chirp, you, I I know where to get a bird chirp. So right, that's, yeah, the, the, true. The um the the issue is is how to find that unique. Thing that unique combination of stuff that's thing that somebody says or that weird uh, uh, confluence of of uh, music and noise and whatever that I mean you just kind of like know it when you hear it and that's and that's uh and then you just go from there. So uh, uh, first um, off, I'd like to tell you, hey thank you for joining us tonight on Monday. I, I totally spaced the fact that you do do that event on Monday and and I really uh, do appreciate I, it. I, I do have to uh, to go uh, wrap up right now. I was very fortunate tonight that we, that we invited some musicians that were great, and then they um, and we also invited his lawnmower. Um, but uh, they they brought their own sound system, and he's he's tearing down, and I hardly have anything to do. But I do have to turn off the digital recorder and say goodbyes and okay. all that stuff. So, but I hope I can be on later in the in the month because we have so much to talk about. Absolutely, I think I think we need to get back on here. And uh, pick up where we left off. I, I would love to do that with you, Luke. Um, you, you know, you're sounds, my kind of guy. Great. You're into audio. You're you you've got the whole uh, whole thing going on. So uh, you know. Um, well, I hope the listeners have enjoyed it. I've been I've just been uh, delighted to be here, and uh, and my uh, my best to, to Cami and the family. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much, Luke. And you get you, you get that digital audio recorder turned off. Okay. Take care. Take her easy, my friend. You too. Bye. All right. So the good news is this is going to be a short one tonight. So we talked about experimentation, audio experimentation. That's what this is. Crazy Talk is an experiment in audio. Uh... For your streaming and listening pleasure or not. I'm not sure where this is all going to go after November, after Na Pomo. I'm uh, kind of torn. 
Uh, we're only about halfway through, so we'll see. We will have Luke back and talk about his experience in that Podpomo. He had a very interesting one, and if you go back, to, if you go search the archives back in 2008, November, Napod Pomo, uh, Broken Hours. He's got some interesting landscapes there, including the one from McKnight, where you could actually listen through and pick out certain voices um, in the background uh, and also certain podcasts that were sponsoring that night. We'll talk more about that later. I appreciate everyone who's here to uh, join me in this experiment. Um, We'll see where it goes. And um, that's it. Hopefully tomorrow night we'll have a special guest. We've been working on this and working on this. Um, I know he just flew into town. But uh, hey, bro, if you're out there, let's talk tomorrow night. Anyway, thank you all so much for joining me. Good night, everybody. Good night.